Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. When God is on your side, anything can happen. Today we'll see how God held the sun back for Israel as they battled so they could have daylight and thoroughly defeat their enemy, allowing them to progress further into the promised land. part two of Cheryl's message titled, Our God Fights for Us. Now there are some things, scientists are only discovering what God already made. And they're working with laws that God put in place, the laws of the body. God made the body. And what happens with science, they figure out how the body works. If they try to go against those laws of how the body works, they'll fail. They are working with what God has done. Galileo, they asked Galileo, who is um, the father of physics, they said, how are you doing all this? And he says, I am only thinking the thoughts of God after him. God made the laws of physics and men are only learning those laws and observing those laws and trying to work within those laws. And they, they know that. They know that when it comes, they are observing and trying to catch on. But I know this. I know that the Bible said it, so it's true. Years ago, there was a a black pastor. He'd been a slave. He was emancipated. He was in the South. And his, his message that he always preached was the sun do move. That's how he said it, the sun do move. And he was ridiculed. He was called backward because he preached that the sun do move. And he says, look, the Bible says that the sun comes out of its chambers like a bridegroom at his wedding. That means the sun do move. It took 50 years for science to catch up with that pastor and realize that the sun do move, just as the Bible says. There was a book I read years ago. It's actually more of a pamphlet by a man named Ralph Muncaster. And in it, he has all these discoveries of science, like the life is in the blood. And then he has all the scriptures of when the Bible said it and when science discovered it, like paths in the ocean, the ocean currents. Um, another one is the, um, the atmosphere. And it says in, I believe it's either Amos or Joel, that God has set his layers in the sky. All these things the Bible said. And science is, for most of it, has just discovered it since the 1800s. But all of these things were lost to men. But when the Bible says that God held back the sun, you know what? God held back the sun. 
He made it. It's his creation. He can do with his creation what he wants to do with his creation. He could do whatever he wants. Just like it's my house and I can move the furniture wherever I want at any time I want to with help from Brian. I can do this. So God can do it. It is a miracle. And God invoked his great power to help Israel. He didn't just help them in part, but he even brought in nature. He held the sun back for them. He stopped the sun and the moon in their course so that they might have light and thoroughly defeat the enemy that they might have the promised land. Oh, how many times has God miraculously held back the night for you? How many times did it seem like the night, the darkness was encroaching in and there was no hope, no light, no way out of that circumstance, but God held back the night. I can think of countless times in my own life when God has held back the night and kept the light shining. When I was only 16 years old, I had the opportunity to go to Sweden with my mom and dad. And my dad did a conference, a Christian conference in a place called Mamsurping. I just have to say it fast because I'm not real sure about the pronunciation. Mamsurping, that place. And um, it was during midsummer. So what happened is the sun went down for 10 minutes and came right back up. So it never got dark. And I remember my dad woke me up at 12 and said, baby, you gotta see this. You gotta see this. And so we went outside and we stood in this field and we watched the sun set. And then we watched the sun rise. And it was absolutely amazing. But God held the sun at bay for the sake of Israel, that they might inherit the promises. Do you realize? I mean, God went all out for Israel that they might have the promises. In fact, it says in verse 14, and there has been no day like that before or after that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Some say that Joshua was strategic in his conquest of Canaan, that he divided you know, Israel into the south and the north. But this battle was unexpected. He didn't know this was going to happen, that five kings were going to join together and he was going to be able to thoroughly defeat the south. Joshua didn't know the land that well. He had only spied it out for 40 days and that had been 40 years previously. How many of you remember what happened 40 years ago? Some of you are going, are you kidding? I wasn't even born. I would have been like minus 25. And then some of us would have been 17 or 18 years old. And I remember very little of that time. God was strategic. And Joshua was obedient to the plan of God. You know, I had, I remember more people coming to Calvary, trying to figure out my dad's strategy. And people would say, you know, Chuck is really wise and he's really doing this and he's doing that. Well, if you knew Chuck, you'd realize that Chuck was not strategic. He was obedient. And he said this one time, here at Calvary Chapel, I'll never forget when he said this, we just 
sought to find out where the river of the Holy Spirit was flowing and to get in the boat and flow with it. That was his strategy. I promise you, I knew the man. That was his strategy. My dad never planned anything. He didn't even plan vacations. You just show up and you see what happens. I know, used to scare me to death because I'm a planner like my mother. And my dad would be like, let's just see what happens. We went to France. I remember on that same trip to Sweden, we ended up in France and my parents said, let's ride the Metro. And I'm like, no, let's not do that. That's not a good idea. We don't speak French. I'm 16, like trying to boss my parents around. Don't do it, please don't do it. And they're like, come on, baby. And the next thing I knew we were riding the Metro. My mom and dad are trying to figure out French. And they're like, let's just get out here. This sounds like a great spot, you know? And so we got out and we came up at the, at the Sin River. And then my dad's like, oh, let's take a boat ride. Let's see if we get, I'm like, no, no, it's a river of sin. You don't want to take a boat ride. But they did. And I was with them the entire time. He never planned anything. I promise you, he was not a planner. Other people here at Calvary said, Chuck, don't you think we had to plan an Easter service? Well, I guess so. You did. That's how it went. I, I don't, I'm not trying to say that he was irresponsible because he wasn't. He just knew that God would show up. He just knew that the Lord would work, that Jesus was strategic. And he just needed to hear Jesus. And he focused on hearing the voice of the Lord, not on planning. And then everyone would come to cover like, what's the secret? We know the word of God, but maybe it's the way, the inflections of his voice. He never yells at people. He never yelled at me. And I gave him cause, but he never did. You know, and and they tried to make it, it's this or it's that. And and so people would go and imitate him. And they wouldn't have the same effect. I'll, I'll never forget my dad saying, you know, he mentioned this pastor on the radio. He's doing not only my sermons, but he's telling my story. I've heard him tell five of my stories and I know those are my stories because I was three and then I was five and then I was seven. That guy's too young to have gone through that. You know, it didn't work for them. Joshua was not strategic. He was obedient and there's a difference. We don't have to be strategic. It's not about having the best plan. It's about having the best God. And it's about listening to this great God that we have. The five federated kings fled the battle and they hid in a cave at Makedah. Listen to this. These kings left their forces, left their armies and sought to save themselves. Joshua is informed and he commands the men to seal off the cave with a stone, trapping the kings inside, place a small guard. But then he tells them, do not be distracted. Keep pursuing the enemy. Verse 19, and do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear ranks. Do not allow them to enter their cities for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Joshua recognized the danger of thinking the battle was over too soon. Just because these kings were caught and trapped, it was not the time to rest on their laurels. If the enemy regrouped, they could wage war and a dangerous counterattack again. In 2 Kings chapter 13, Elisha meets with the king of Israel and he has the king shoot an arrow out the window. And the king 
takes the bow and he shoots the arrow out and he says, thus you will defeat the army of Syria. Then he says, now take your arrows and pound them on the ground. And the king just does this anemic pounding. Like, like, I don't get it. And Elijah begins, Elisha begins to weep. And he says, why did you only do it three times? If only you had pounded those arrows on the ground, you, you could win the battle. You could thoroughly wipe out the enemy. But now you will only win three battles against the enemy. Brian and I have taken that as a slogan for our life, that in prayer, we pound the ground. That's why First Thessalonians, Paul tells us, pray without ceasing. When is the time to stop praying about a certain situation? When you have the thorough victory and are settled in the land. Only then you pray without cessation. Those of you with children, you know this. You think you only have to pray for them until they get married. And then you realize, oh no, now it's worse. Now you need bigger, stronger prayers. You never stop praying from children from conception until you die. Happy thoughts. Yeah, pray for those kids. You pray without ceasing for those children. There's never a time that they don't need your prayers. We don't want to be anemic in our prayers. We don't want to stop at the cave of the enemy and just rest and say, well, this is good enough. No, it's not good enough until the enemy is thoroughly defeated. At the end of the battle, when the enemy forces were completely consumed, Joshua had all the forces reconfigure at the camp and they realized that there were no losses in Israel. Every soldier returned from battle alive. They gained the respect of all in Canaan. Verse 20, nobody would criticize Joshua, none of the enemy. They returned to the cave. They brought out the kings. And Joshua had the men put their feet on the necks of the kings. Many ancient pictures and battle reliefs contain such scenes. It was a sign of dominance. Even the men of Israel were more powerful than the kings of this world. And that's something God wants you to know. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. First John 4, 4. Joshua's pronouncement, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. You'll put your foot on the neck of all your enemies. The secret to victory is not perfection. It's not strength. It's not strategy. It's not the enemy's weaknesses, but the secret to victory was the presence of the Lord, the promise of the Lord, his involvement and his favor. As they sought the Lord, their enemies would be defeated, no matter how strong the force against them, no matter how big the alignment. And this is what Joshua is showing the soldiers as their feet are on the necks of the kings. Joshua then has the kings hung and displays their dead bodies. And it's another boost to the faith of Israel. And he buries them in the cave under a heap of stones. Another testimony, memorial, story to tell the next generation. 
Boys love stories like this. We as girls are like, <laughs> you know, my brothers used to love to watch combat when they were growing up. I hated combat. I hate guns. I hate all that kind of stuff. But you know, God knows how to capture a boy's heart, doesn't he? And later, as these fathers in Israel, they would be like, we're going on a man trip. And they could go and see all these places where these battles had been. And the fathers could recall and retell the stories to their sons, that their sons might know that God is greater and God fights for them. So there's a memorial. But Joshua has a thorough victory. He does not leave the enemy any power, place, or people to return to. If he did not completely destroy these cities, others would rise up and fight against Israel. And those forces would be a thorn in the sight of Israel. He is clearing the way for the tribes of Israel to simply move in and settle into the promised land. There would be no more great enemies to contend with, just little skirmishes ahead. So Joshua goes to each of the kingdoms and destroys it, beginning with Libna and Lachish. And while he's fighting against Lachish, Gezer, that old Gezer, comes to help against Lachish, and they're defeated. Eglon, Hebron, Debir, all these kings in their land Joshua took one at a time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Verse 42, this was a secret to success. God fought for Israel. Now, here's the lesson. This same God, this same God, he has fought for us that he might bring us into all of his promises. But we must go forward in faith receiving the confirmation of God's word and promises. We must fight the enemy because God fights with us. He fights for us. There's this story told in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis that I love. And it's about this man and he's got this awful reptile on his shoulder. And the reptile bites him and whispers blasphemies in his ear all day and night long and won't let him sleep and is painful. And the angel, an angel comes to this man and says, take that beast off your shoulder. And he says, I can't. If I go to do it, he'll just claw me and the pain will be so severe. But I just hate what he's doing to me and it hurts so bad. And he says, will you take it off of me? Will you just take it off of me? I can't do it for myself. And the angel says to this man, I can't take it off. You must choose to get that beast off your shoulder, no matter what the sacrifice. And then the man decides that he can't live with this beast blaspheming and doing all this, and it's keeping him from all the promises of God. So he takes his hand and he begins to pull this reptile off his shoulder. And the reptile begins to dig its claws in and bite him as he's doing it. And suddenly the angel's hand comes and clasps his hand. And together they throw the beast down to the ground. And the reptile begins to writhe and roll. And all of a sudden it turns into this great white horse and the angel helps the man to mount it and ride into heaven. And you get the analogy, right? That very thing 
that is biting us and blaspheming, God says, you take the first step and I will be with you to deliver you and to give you the victory and you will ride on it. You will have total victory over it and it will become your testimony of victory. It's a great part in that book. And I sense we have one happy clapper in the audience. (laughs) Maybe three, four. No matter how strong the force against them, no matter how big the alignment, no matter how great the weapons, God is for you. We must go forward in faith, receive the confirmation of God's word and promises. God has a word for the battle that you're in, for the place that you're at. And you must fight because God is fighting for you. And we must not stop, rest, or sit at the cave of kings as long as we're on this earth. But we must continue to pursue our enemy and keep our enemy fleeing. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We want the devil on retreat, not our retreats. We want the devil being pursued and leaving us. And we must continue to pursue the enemy until they are completely dealt with. We must finish the battle. There is a need to go into the strongholds, the places that the enemy was born, raised, trained, and equipped. The strongholds of sin. When somebody stops sinning, pray that the strongholds of sin in their life are absolutely broken so there's nothing to return to. We must go into the strongholds of condemnation and expose the lies so that no one listens to those lies again. We need complete victory, not just in battle, but in the strongholds so that nothing remains that can keep us intimidate us, thwart us, hinder us from the promises of God to us. God has won the great battle. He has fought for us that he might fight for us. He wants you to hear, believe, and move forward in and receive the fulfillment of every promise that he has given you through his word. And believe it or not, God cares more about fulfilling his word to you than you care about having it fulfilled to you. He is zealous. He is passionate about fulfilling his word and his promises. The key to receiving and living in it is not your perfect record. God can economize and use even your mistakes if you give them fully to him. Lord, here's my mistakes. Here's my problems. Here's all the things that I've done wrong. Use it for your glory. God can use all things and anything for his glory. Your personal strength, strategy, or even the people you fight for or with will not, are not the assurance of victory. The key to victory is being in the presence, the promise and favor of the God that loves you so much. He came to earth and fought sin, death, and the powers of hell that you might have all the promises that belong to him. And he continues to fight the forces that oppose you. He is committed to getting you into all that he has promised. Isaiah 49, 25, God says, For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. 
Isaiah 54, 17 tells us that the heritage of the Lord is, is victory over the enemy. These are the promises of God to us. Our God is a warrior. He is the captain of the Lord's army and he fights for us. He has fought for us and has won the great battle. And now he fights for us every day that we might enter in, receive, and live in all of his promises and see them fulfilled. God wanted Israel to know the secret to victory. He showed them it's not in their strength or strategy or in the weakness of their enemy. It's in seeking God and living in his presence and promises. As they sought the Lord, their enemies would be defeated no matter how big or strong they were. The same is true for us today. As we trust God and seek to live in his presence and promises, he will bring us through to victory no matter how hard or impossible the situation may seem. God is for us and wants us to have victory that can only be found in him. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll see God's continued victory for Israel as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.